0: Bell Fanboy, episode forty six. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 46th edition of the Elfamboy Fanboy Podcast. How is everybody doing out there, man? Oh man, another week at Revenge of the Fans is uh, is coming to a close today, and it is uh, the ride continues to baffle, mystify, and exhaust me. But uh, ultimately, it's incredibly rewarding, and it's incredibly satisfying and i have to thank everyone once again yesterday on thursday the january 25th we had our biggest day of the year thousands upon thousands of visitors and all kinds of clicks and everyone is excited and sharing the name and they love yesterday's scoop and i'm going to talk a little bit more about that scoop in just a few but right now you know it's just it's crazy over here it's crazy just to give you a little insight You know, a day in the life, like yesterday, which was our biggest day, you know, I picked all the stories, I edited the stories, I wrote that scoop that now has gone around the world, but all the while... I'm doing three loads of laundry, I'm doing a huge load of dishes, I'm dealing with my super because the, uh, the dishwasher broke, I'm taking my kids to and from school and helping them with homework, and then I'm wrapping up the day by DJing a, uh, you know, a end of year sort of holiday party for a bunch of realtors here in Queens that went until midnight. That is like just a typical day here in the life. And, you know, I can't wait for maybe one day for the day to come when I've got like a dedicated RTF office to go to and a whole team of people to kind of help me with all these different things. But right now I have my small little intimate team and I'm just, you know, I'm plugging away here, trying to balance everything, trying to spin as many different plates as I can at the same time. And thankfully, you know, so far the site seems to be growing this way. I imagine you know we're we're gonna we're gonna come to a place where we're gonna have to kick things up a notch and hopefully you know revenue starts to come in and you guys with the Patreon start to pitch in more and you know this thing can become a little more viable and I can give it some more dedicated time. But right now, it's a lot of juggling. Even right now, in the room with me, my son doesn't go to school on Friday, so he's hanging out over there playing with a puzzle. So you may once in a while hear Sebastian make a noise, or one of his toys make a stupid sound, Uh, but, you know, that's just part, I I have to share my time and try to get as much done as possible, because even tonight, again, I'm working, I'm DJing until two in the morning, it's uh, it's crazy over here, you know, trying to network, and it's working, by the way, I'm speaking, you know, now that the site is up and, and people are learning the name, I'm, I've already got major studios where that that have Revenge of the Fans now on their rolodex. They're sending us promotional materials. They're inviting us to screenings. You know the infrastructure here is coming together little by little. I couldn't really get it together in advance because I needed a site to show them. I needed to, I needed you know before I went to Warner Brothers and Disney and Marvel and Fox and all of them, I had to show them that there was a tangible site. With people visiting it and commenting on it and retweeting the articles and all that, and now thanks to you, I have something to show them, and they're responding. And our our access to the goods is going is is uh, only going to increase from this point on. So that was just kind of my quick sort of update here on uh, on how Revenge of the Fans is coming along. Uh, if you're not someone who's made that part of your daily rituals yet you know over at revengeofthefans.com every day we update with new you know geek news stories we've got reviews we've got exclusive columns and we have my occasional scoops which seem to be everyone's favorite thing so i hope to keep uh, keep the scoops coming that is my goal though as i said last night you know i i am going to try my best to avoid anything that it, that has any kind of spoiler attached to it Because I feel bad, you know, I realize, you know, I don't want to rob anyone of the experience of of having these things happen live before them, and I don't want anyone creating these films that I care about so much to feel like I'm hampering their process, you know, I think about what happened last year with James Mangold calling out uh, a certain cockroach that shall not be named, and I realize, like, does yesterday's scoop put me on that level, did I... Did I try to take the piss out of something that they were working on? Granted, it's not really the you know a viable comparison because the uh, cockroach's scoop was actually wrong, and Mangold was calling him out for spreading a falsehood. But still, I just I don't want to be a thorn in anyone's side. I don't want to have filmmakers you know looking over their shoulders. For like, what am I going to, you know, what surprise am I going to spoil next? And honestly, I don't even know if the Superman thing is going to be a surprise. I know very little about what his deal is in Shazam. And by the way, I'm not even doing spoiler tags because at this point, everyone is already just put it in the headlines. Everyone is all, it's just out there. I tried my best to continue, keep it subtle, but everyone else is just going, Hey, everyone, Superman's going to be in Shazam! So I guess you know there's no point in me trying to give you a spoiler alert because uh, the cat is out of the bag. But yes, as I said in yesterday's report, all I really know is that he's in the movie and that he has been an inspirational figure to Billy Batson. The rest is my speculation, which I make very clear as to you know how he might be used in the story or a neat way to sort of incorporate him into the mythology there for Shazam and and likewise to link Shazam and Billy Batson into the established DCU canon um but really you know all I really know is that he's in it and that he's had an influence on Billy Batson. I don't know if it's just a cute little how-you-doing cameo where, oh, Superman exists in this world, that's neat, or if he's actually going to be more of like a full-on mentor, like Tony Stark in, in you know, it's a Peter Parker in Homecoming, or more of just like a peripheral presence, like Captain America in Spider-Man Homecoming. I really don't know how that whole thing is going to play out. So I don't know if I, if I necessarily robbed anyone of a surprise or of anything that was going to be very monumental for them. I honestly don't know. Um, but, you know, again, I just, I'm sorry if I ruffled any feathers. Um, but, the, you know, the scoop itself, I'm very intrigued by. I really am intrigued by the idea of having Henry Cavill in Shazam in some capacity. You know, I, I actually, you know, I, I've sort of run off and I really, I've run with this idea that I came up with, this theory of mine, and now it's kind of like all I want. And it's, it's one of those unfortunate scenarios where it's like, now I've made myself want this so badly that I fear that if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be greatly disappointed. And it's happened before in other recent movies where I have this cockamamie theory that to me is just Awesome. And then you know things happen, and that's not actually how it plays out in the movie. But you know, I, uh, I I put out there that it would be interesting if they reshot that sequence from the beginning of Justice League, where a couple of kids are interviewing Superman, a couple of little boys. If they reshot it, obviously with Cavill, you know, now actually not having the mustache, so they don't have to CGI it, so he doesn't look like Agent Smith. Um, I said if they reshoot it. And make it so that the two boys who are interviewing them are Billy Batson and Freddie Freeman, the two little boys from the the Shazam mythology, Billy and, and his best friend. We know, you know, we know Freddie's going to be in the movie. So I said that would be a pretty neat way to sort of tie things together. And some of you think that would be a little ham fisted. But honestly, that's just an assumption. What's to say that wasn't the plan all along? Remember, you know, Shazam was already getting written in the early stages of development while Whedon was doing the finishing touches on Justice League. What's to say that Whedon and Jeff Johns and David Sandberg, who's doing Shazam, didn't all put their heads together and decide that that's what was going to happen? And they were just going to find out about it later. It's it's interesting to have to keep going back to um, Spider-Man Homecoming. Because there is another sort of comparison here, right? In Spider-Man Homecoming, we got to witness the airport brawl from Peter's perspective. So we got to see that scene again from an alternate take, you know, using his cell phone recording it. So what if in Shazam something very similar happens? You know, what if in Shazam we do get to see, this time it's Billy Batson holding the cell phone and interviewing Superman face to face and what an impact that moment with him, with Superman, with his, with his idol has on him as he goes through his trials and tribulations with uh, Shazam and all that good stuff. And honestly, this you know, with, the, with regard to the scene itself, because it, it's been the cause for a lot of sort of polarizing, sort of split responses, you know, I'm of two minds because I've experienced that scene both ways. I've experienced it as an outsider who didn't get what the hell was going on. And then I've experienced it again as someone who was clued into what they were going for. And now I find it like very sort of heartfelt and monumental and sort of an emotional scene. Because I'll be the first to admit it. The first time I saw Justice League, that scene happened and I was left scratching my head about a number of things. I was scratching my head about... How could this be the first shot of the movie with this terrible CGI? Who approved of this nonsense with his upper lip? It looks horrible. How how couldn't they have disguised this better? So I was, you know, I was mystified by how that could happen on a technical level. And I also just like the meaning of the scene didn't, I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. With the whole thing, with it leading to the boy asking Superman, you know, what do you love most about Earth? And him looking off and seeming like he didn't know what to say. I think I missed the grin at the end. Because to me, I took it like, oh, he can't think of something that he likes about Earth. Like, I, I, I swear, I missed it. It just went over my head. And I remember just thinking, whoa, what is going on here? Um, but then the second time around... You know, by that point, someone had mentioned that what you know what's actually going on is he can't figure out one clear answer because he just loves the earth so much. He loves the earth and its people and being a symbol of hope and all these all this so much that he can't even he can't even pinpoint one. And when you view it through that vantage point and you see that that hopeful grin at the end of it, you realize, oh, that is like a very beautiful altruistic superman moment happening there that he just so loves us that he can't even find just one thing to say it would it would probably take forever for him to answer that question so having experienced the scene both ways i totally get why there's a split because if you're not really you know if you're distracted by the upper lip And if you're, you know, if you're not really, you know, dialed into that subtle little grin there at the end and and the implications of all that, then I could see why that scene is a giant, what the hell are we looking at type of situation. But if you are dialed into it and you do pick up on it, it's extraordinarily emotional. Or at least, you know, it's a very sort of, um, how should I put it? It's very sentimental. And it's very, very Superman, if you ask me. Um, I even had Brett tell me, you know, over on the Revengers, you know, he was telling me how, like, that scene basically sold him on the movie. You know, because he, you know, he got something out of Batman v Superman, but he didn't really love it. And he loved Man of Steel. But for him, that moment was the most, like, Superman moment he had seen from these recent D- DC movies in a while, and it got him excited for the rest of the movie. So it, it had quite a different impact on him than it did on me, and I honestly have a whole new respect for that moment. So perhaps getting to revisit it in Shazam, and maybe this time it won't cut off, because remember in the movie, they cut it off. But maybe what he says to Billy in the remainder of that scene is part of what puts him on the path where he, you know, it just, I think it could be really meaningful and very sweet. And I honestly do not understand the hate. And thankfully, the hate is in the minority in terms of most people are very excited about this idea, not even necessarily just my little theory about the cell phone scene. But in general, most people are ecstatic at the idea that Superman will appear in Shazam. They see it as fitting. They see it as it's going to do wonders for both characters because we're going to get to see Superman being that inspirational, you know, iconic hero who inspires hope in others and and, make, and brings out the best in them. And it's also going to give you, you know, more of a, you're going to relate to Shazam more because a lot of us grew up loving and idolizing Superman. We could put ourselves in the shoes of being that little boy who sees Superman on TV and and plays with the action figures and looks at him as this awe-inspiring being of for truth, justice, and the American way. Now you can understand Billy Batson because honestly, remember, Shazam is more of a niche character. A lot of people don't know a lot about Shazam. Even the director, David Sandberg, I remember reading a few, an interview a few months back, that uh, he didn't know much about him until he got the job and he started doing research and that's where his love affair came from. So you got to understand, a lot of people, are, I don't know a lot about Shazam. You know, I'm someone who loves DC and has followed Superman and Batman and, and all the different movies and cartoons as much as I can over the course of the last 30 years. And I know next to nothing about Shazam. To me, Shazam is the guy you get to play as when you're player two on the '80s Superman arcade game. You know what I mean? He's just the—he's the Superman with the white cape, the sort of knockoff guy. The 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 most access I've had to him that I've I've explored is the way he's he he is in Kingdom Come, which I love, and in that cartoon with uh, him and Superman and Black Adam, I saw that. But honestly, I don't know a lot about Shazam, and I feel like most people don't either. So having Superman in there, who is a beloved and sort of mainstream iconic figure, I think will help draw more attention to Shazam, make Billy more relatable, and I think it just, I just think it works. I just think it works. But there is this vocal minority. Isn't there always a vocal minority? I guess I shouldn't hate on them because I'm like the vocal minority when it comes to Star Wars The Last Jedi. But there's this vocal minority of people who hate this idea and who think it's a terrible, terrible move and it's a total betrayal of what DC should be doing right now. And later today, I think I'm going to be recording a vlog with, uh, with Bill Jet Ramey of Batman on Film because he's one of those haters and he wants to have me on his vlog today to discuss my scoop and I guess to defend my stance. Because honestly, I feel like unless we find out exactly what's going on, it's too soon to judge. We don't know how he's going to be used. If it really is just like a, you know, sort of passing cameo, just a general implication that Henry Cavill's Superman is part of this world, I do not see the harm in it. All I see are the positives. But some people are jumping to assumptions, oh, he's going to hijack the movie, he's going to steal the spotlight from Shazam, the whole thing's going to be a commercial for Man of Steel 2, and this and that, and I'm like, I, please, 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 cool your jets. No, you know, uh, no pun intended, although that does work, I think I'm going to use that cool your jets line on jet on the vlog later, because I'm a dork like that. But anyway... Um, I just think people are getting carried away. Until we know exactly what this appearance entails, everyone just needs to wait and see. I do not see the inherent evil in having Superman appear in Shazam. And anyone who just instantly jumps to what a disgusting move this is, all that really does is make me say, wow, you know, the people who've been running the DCU up to this point have really done some damage. And the people who are trying to pull it out of the depths and and sort of have it rise like a phoenix, they really have their work cut out for them now because there are people who are just going to crap all over every idea, no matter what they know about it. There are people who are so put off and so disenchanted and so disheartened about anything DC because of what they've seen so far that they they barely even want to give you a chance anymore. And I guess, you know, I'm an example of someone who has been perhaps one of the most vocal critics of the DCU. I've been hammering these movies since 2013. In fact, my polarizing, you know, my, my, my my response to Man of Steel is what got me into online punditry. You know, I was writing rants against Man of Steel on my own personal uh, Tumblr and on Facebook. and And friends of mine were saying, you know, you should really submit some of these to a site. You should write about these somewhere because, you know, you make good points and you're articulate and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, Man of Steel and my criticisms of it are part of how I, that's brought me to all of this. It's in the DNA of everything, of this entire El Fanboy movement, in the the DNA for Revenge of the Fans. A lot of it stems from how hard I've been on the DCU. And yet, here I am as one of the few people who's very hopeful about the future. So how does that work? You know, everyone has always accused me of being someone who just wants to just crap all over them. And I'm some sort of paid off Marvel stooge, which, by the way, if that's true, I'm waiting on my check. I would love that so I could hire someone else to do the laundry and the dishes once in a while. But, you know, I've been accused of all these things. And in all honesty, I'm a, I'm a champion for DC. And now that I see what they're doing... I'm very I'm very excited about the future and it just it, it makes me sad to see people crap all over anything like this Shazam story yesterday because it just shows that that's how defensive and bitter and spiteful people have become when it comes to DCU because of some unfortunate decisions that have been made. Um, and you know I want to address something Aaron Verola my boy my longtime supporter, and, and and he's, you know, he contributed the very first Revenger vlog on the site, and he's been on the El Fanboy podcast before to talk Star Wars, and dude, you're awesome. But yesterday, you brought up something about, you know, how, uh, Things you know, like you, you basically sort of crapped on this idea talking about the fact that that scene in Justice League didn't ring true, that it was totally ham-fisted and contrived because it doesn't jive with what we've seen in previous Henry Cavill Superman performances in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. But listen, I think you're missing the point on something, or at least I, I kind of want you to think about this differently. And yes, I'm speaking to Verola directly, but also anyone who's in general, worried about how they're going to retcon and readjust and move forward, considering some of the questionable decisions that have brought us to this point. And that is, we're dealing with comic book movies, which are based on, wait for it, comic books. And in the comic book medium, it is very, very common for them to sort of readjust and retcon and move things along and reboot as they go. It happens all the time. There are different continuities where we're supposed to understand, okay, this is slightly, okay, they're going a different way with it now. Oh, okay, this reset that. Oh, this is this. You know, in the comic book world, we're used to the fact that different storytellers get to tell their stories different ways, and while they have to stick to certain key fundamental bullet points, you know, they can tweak the depictions of these characters. I remember... The very first time I ever started collecting comic books, which is not something I've done a great deal of in my life, it was in the aftermath of the death of Superman. My father had gotten me the collected works you know, of the death of Superman, where they took all the comics and put them into one volume. So I, he got me that for Christmas, and that got me enthused about Superman comics in general. So from the return of Superman onward, I started collecting them every week. And I took notice of something even back then. I think I must have been 10 or 11. There was like an interesting thing going on where like four different publishing houses, it seems like, I don't know if I'm using the right term, but four different companies were taking turns adding new entries into the Superman story. So, in other words, like one week's issue would be made would be called The Adventures of Superman. Next week's issue would be Action Comics Superman. Then the next one would be Superman Man of Steel, let's say. Like I'm forgetting what the four of them were, but the point was there were like four different creative teams that putting out issues of the same story. You know, uh, of in terms of like the same continued story. They they, they kept on passing the baton to one another and telling you telling new entries in the same overall arcing story but each company kind of got to do things that they like they drew him a little differently sometimes the tone was a little bit different i remember in action comics the artist there used to draw him almost looking like a middle-aged man like he had this hyper detailed quasi-realistic style and i'm like wow superman looks like he's 45 in this comic And then the next one, he looks back to being 30 because someone else is drawing him closer to like a young Christopher Reeve. And of course, they all have the same long hair. They're all telling the same story. But there's a little bit of creative leeway there in terms of depicting the, the tone and the general feel of the books. And I feel like something like that is happening now in the DCU. You see it right there with Wonder Woman. You see it with the way that she was introduced one way in BVS. Then in Wonder Woman, they sort of retconned some elements of that. Then in Justice League, they kind of walked it back. And I know that's inconsistent storytelling. But the point is, with Geoff Johns now creatively helping things out, I think he's trying to bring forth the idea that you can't be too precious about the details. That We're, we're kind of moving into uncharted territory now with these shared universes based on comic book properties, you kind of have to adapt some of the comic book sensibility along with them. And in the comic book world, the different writers are allowed to kind of put their own stamp and emphasize and de-emphasize certain things about the characters as they see fit while they're telling the stories. So if you're going to hold these DC movies as like Yes, ironclad pieces of canon and every every little idiosyncrasy that 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 contradicts one another is gonna throw you off entirely, then I guess you're in for a bumpy ride. But if you're someone who's gonna look at this as a comic book fan and see, like, you know what? I haven't really liked what you know, Goyer, Nolan, and Snyder cooked up for Man of Steel. I didn't really like what Snyder and terrio cooked up for Batman v Superman but you know what I actually did like what Terry O and Whedon came up with for Justice like I'm not saying I did like him I'm just saying I'm just, I'm just spitballing you know you you should be able to look at these and then go all right well I want to see what the next team is going to do with him and if that's too much to ask if that is a bridge too far for you to cross listen I get it But that's the only way you're going to get to enjoy these movies ever again, if you even want to give them a chance again. Because they're not going to do a hard reboot. They're never going to be able to go back and fix the canon and make all the adjustments from the beginning. And they're not going to just hit the reset button and recast everyone and start a whole new continuity. None of that's happening. All you can do is make do with what's actually on the horizon and what's on the horizon is a course correction it's it's somehow they are they're, they're, they're going to have Clark Kent in the next one and they're going to somehow maybe half-heartedly address the fact that he's seemingly back from the dead after what uh, you know Zack Snyder did to him at the end of Batman v Superman having giving him an open casket funeral and a headline that says Clark Kent is dead instead of just doing what the comic books did and said that Clark Kent went missing um you know they're going to retcon that and you just got to be okay with it because you know that's the only way we're going to pull ourselves out of this hole they're not going to reboot so they just have to creatively pick and choose what you know each team that gets these characters is going to have to decide what they're going to keep what they're not going to keep it's it's almost kind of like what fox has done with the x-men movies where the canon is very questionable where if you know it doesn't hold up to scrutiny at all, where like, oh wait a minute, this contradicts that and that, you, know, you just gotta go into these and enjoy the movies. You know right now only Marvel Studios seems to have been able to to navigate it where there's minimal contradictions, there is an internal sense of logic, and a lot of the um, you know, the the sort of quote unquote plot holes are sort of up for debate. And you could almost argue that some of them are on purpose. You could argue, you know, know, but by and large, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the first of its kind to really try to make this tried and true, logical, organic piece of canon that everyone adheres to. Everyone else, you know, there's there's wiggle room there. So if you, as a fan, need to open up that wiggle room in your head if you're going to try to enjoy these movies. If you're not, and if you've checked out, then listen, I get it. I'm sorry to hear that. I feel genuine sadness that the DC fandom has become so fractured and so hurt over what's gone on in the last few years. But I, for one, cannot wait to see what the next teams in charge of these wonderful, mythical characters does with them next. And the last thing I'll say before we move on from this topic is that anyone who thinks that the Superman and Shazam situation is somehow a betrayal of what they said to Vulture a few months ago about how they're going to loosen up the connectivity and move each character off onto his own island and blah, blah, blah. Remember, their their example for that is Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is their template moving forward. And in Wonder Woman, there were a couple of references to the shared world. You know, she mentions Bruce Wayne. You know, like the 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 beginning and the end both include references to Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne. We know that it's tied in to BVS and you know the, the the first scene and that the latter scene was sort of leading us into how she you know she's gonna reconnect with him for Justice League. You know, the, there was an acknowledgement of the shared world, but the shared world didn't really affect the story itself. It was just something that was there, it was acknowledged. So if Wonder Woman is the template, if Superman's presence is similar in that sort of scope where, okay, maybe Billy meets him in the opening scene and we see the impact he's had on him, and then maybe at the end, Superman flies by and gives him a wave and says, good job, kid, and keeps flying. I'm just making that last part of That's probably a little too heavy handed. But you know, the point is... If he's just sort of lightly there, just to make his presence felt, but he doesn't really impact the core story at all, then that, that is proof. that That is the direction they're going in, and it is not a betrayal of the idea that they're going to loosen up the shared universe, okay? So these two ideas do not contradict one another. Don't jump to conclusions. We don't know how Superman is going to be used in Shazam, but okay. Moving right along to the other Captain Marvel, uh, you know, yesterday there was a lot of a lot of fuss, a lot of chatter because some some spy pics from uh, Captain Marvel hit the web. Uh, it's it's our first look at Brie Larson in the costume, and there've been a few different comments about the costumes, a lot of comments about her '90s Rachel uh, from Friends hairstyle. But let's tackle this a little bit. So. One of the complaints is that it fits weird. That it almost she almost looks like one of the villains on uh, on the CW's The Flash show, wearing like baggy leather. Remember, folks, these kinds of photos have come out before, and there's usually more to the story, and they and they usually don't end up looking that way in the finished product. I remember these same things were said about Tom Holland's Peter Parker in Spider-Man Homecoming, where there were pictures of him wearing a very baggy, unimpressive-looking suit. There was also the same thing back when uh, uh, Captain America Civil War came out. Well, not when it came out, when it was getting filmed. There were shots of Black Panther shooting that, that rooftop action sequence and the stunt double, or maybe it was Chadwick Boseman, was wearing a very sort of baggy version of the costume, and it looked really crappy. And people were like, how can this be? And it's like, listen, it, it it's not be. <laughs> That's not what's happening. I'm certain, just based on their track record, that the suit will look really good on her in the movie. That's just, you know, we have no reason, based on 10 years of movies now... We have no reason to doubt Marvel when it comes to the costumes. Even when they're not exact replicas of the comic book suits, they're usually still, you can still categorize them as ripped from the comics. They don't shy away from big bold colors and capes and great craziness. You know, they, 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 they didn't go the Brian Singer route and put everyone in black leather. You know, they didn't try to adapt these to make them look quote unquote cool they tend to stick to the comic book origins. So anyone worried that, like, why did Marvel take such liberties with the suit? I think you're missing it, and I think you're just looking to piss and moan about something. And maybe you have an ulterior motive. But really, based on the pictures, there's nothing to be worried about in terms of how the suit fits. Now, let's talk about the color a little bit, because I think that is more of a plot detail, not, a, not really a, a sort of, you know they're they're taking creative liberties. I think it's a plot detail. And I was thinking about what what longtime listener Alex Mendoza tweeted at me the other day. This this idea of uh, of uh, the scrolls. You know you know how the scrolls can can take on the forms of other people, and uh, you know I, I want to do it justice. I'm I'm going to pull up his tweet. And all right, here it is. I've got it for you. He sent me the following question. Well, he sent it to the Revenge of the Fans official Twitter handle. Uh, He said, do you think that Captain Marvel will begin the next phase storyline with Secret Invasion? And that this may be the out for some of the original Avengers? Like, say, Tony Stark was a Skrull the whole time? I responded, you may very well be onto something. It wouldn't be Tony, but a swerve like that, I believe, is on the horizon. Alex then wrote back, Yay, I figured that's why it's set in the 90s, giving the scrolls a few years to embed themselves within the MCU. I also think that the first Illuminati storyline will be adapted to explain how the Infinity Gems are dealt with, especially now that Disney has the Fox IPs. So now... First of all, thanks for sending in the questions and the feedback there, Alex. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, I I always... You got to love Alex Mendoza from Australia. I'd love to hear what your uh, accent sounds like, being a a Hispanic in Australia. But, um, you know, that question got me thinking about this idea of, like, the reason that Captain Marvel is set in the 90s is to set up some big surprises, I think, for Avengers 4. Well, we're going to find out that certain characters perhaps were either Skrulls all along or are Skrulls now. And I think that's one of the important keys to the story here. Because remember, we're going to get Avengers, then we're going to get Captain Marvel, and then we're going to get Avengers 4. So her movie comes right in between the two, and I think it's to plant the seed. I do think, I have a hunch, and mind you, by the way, my hunch comes totally just from my brain. I Remember, I'm not a comic book nerd. So this speculation I'm about to lay on you, I guess is kind of perfect because you can't claim I'm spoiling anything because I never read the book. So this is literally just me spitballing. If I happen to hit on something and you want to tweet at me and going, oh, that's exactly what happened in the books, feel free to do so. But just know it would be completely coincidental, this sort of speculation I'm about to get into. But what if, all right, what if in Captain Marvel, which takes place in the 90s, you know, they establish the Skrulls, they establish that they can morph into other people and and assume their identities, and, you know, Carol Danvers finds out, you know, maybe towards the very end after she's quelled whatever impending doom was about to happen, she finds out that the Skrulls are still around and that they've you know, implanted themselves in some deeply long-form plan, right? And they know, know, she finds out maybe through some other character that, you know, they're going to wait until the Earth is at its most vulnerable for, you know, eventually when Thanos' forces arrive, because even maybe back then they already know about it, and that's when they're going to reveal themselves. And Captain Marvel, you know, Carol feels a certain sense of helplessness because she doesn't know when they're going to strike she doesn't know when the Thanos invasion is gonna happen. And she wishes, she wishes that she can go warn someone or do something about this long-term plan to infiltrate that they're doing. And what if the answer to that is, let's say Dr. Steven Strange shows up? You know, he shows up in sort of Dr. Emmett Brown from the end of Back to the Future mode, and it says, We gotta go to the future. it's 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 your kids something's got to be done about your kids okay not about that part obviously but he comes from the future and he pulls her in to the present day continuity as Captain Marvel comes to an end on a bit of a cliffhanger because now he's going to bring her into the fray because the scrolls have you know are, are making their presence felt in the in the current day timeline and when we come to the present day we find out maybe that there is a Krull version of Captain Marvel that she has to deal with, and that's why she has that green suit. And we're going to see the Krull Captain Marvel, who perhaps has won over the rest of the Avengers, and they think she's one of them, fighting off against the red Captain Marvel, which is going to be the rightful one who came from the past to try to stop her. You know, I, I listen, like I said, this is all just me having fun with what Alex said and with what little I know about these books and about the stories they try to tell. I know that for a while there's been talk that the reason they don't want to reveal the title for Avengers 4 is because it would be a spoiler. And some people think it's going to be called Avengers Secret Wars or Secret Invasion, something along those lines. So with all that in mind, that's where this sort of spitballing came from. Let me know what you think of that idea. Let me know if you think that the reason her suit is green in those set pictures is because she's not the rightful one. She's the, the scroll version of her. And what you think of the idea of maybe like a time travel sort of element where Carol in the 90s is brought into the present day to deal with the scroll who's pretending to be, who has been pretending to be here all all this time. I guess it gets a little convoluted. I don't have it all mapped out, but that is my theory. Let me know what you think. Um, the last thing I'm going to touch on for today is, you know, the 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 question was presented to me, or the issue was presented to me, since this, this since this year's Oscar nominations have gone out. Uh, you know, there's once again. Uh, a big lamentable fact that Latin Latinos Hispanics are very sort of underrepresented this year, and you know it, it's a uh, it's a you know it's it's a trend that's been going on for a while, and it's it is a frequent topic of conversation, and you know I I I, I have been known to get fired up in the past when people like John Leguizamo come out and make some really truly salient points, um, but you know what I don't know what it is in this particular instance. I'm being more of an optimist, maybe like it is in the DCU right now. I'm optimistic and maybe I'm the sole voice of optimism these days. But for me, rather than focus on the fact that there are not a ton of Hispanic nominees and that, you know, this award season is, you know, already in full swing and it looks like, you know, Hispanics are not going to get a huge, uh, you know, a, a huge spotlight I'd instead like to focus on the simple fact that The Shape of Water is the biggest movie this year right now. It's got 13 nominations. It's, you know, critics love it. Fans love it. People speak of it in amazing terms. It is the big buzzed about movie coming into the Academy Awards, and it's directed by a Mexican, Mr. Guillermo del Toro. To me, that's what I choose to focus on. You know, I know that it would be nice if more Hispanics were acknowledged for their hard work, but right now, the mere fact that the big movie comes from the creative mind of a Mexican filmmaker of Del Toro's caliber, you know, this is coming after years of Mexicans taking home the, the, the best director trophies for years now with Alfonso Cuarón and with uh, Iñarito, uh, Iñarito González, um, you know, they, and you have uh, Lobesky, the, uh, the cinematographer, taking home all these awards. You know, I choose to focus on that. Um, and I realize, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess my situation is sort of unique in that while I value it and I respect it and I understand the need for it and, and why it is that it's important to other people, you know, I personally have never had an issue with representation. It's just not something that has ever really impacted or affected me in any real way. I don't know. I can't necessarily say why. I don't know necessarily why, but I think it stems from the fact that I, my, my nature, the way I was raised, is to be a very empathetic person. I don't know what it is. is. I'm ve- it, For me, it is very, very easy to slip myself in and out of the shoes of others. doesn't matter if they look like me or not, if they're the same gender as me, the same age as me. You know, I can relate to a 15-year-old white girl just as easily as I can relate to uh, an African-American gay man. You know, I- I'm able, if the writing is good, if the art is good, if I'm engaged in the story... I don't really care what color your skin is or what you've got between your legs or where you come from or what you're about. I can relate to you. I can have things about you speak to me on a deeper level and inspire me in my day-to-day life. I, you know, I, I just, it's, it's something that has just always come naturally to me. I, I've been known to start like sobbing over stories that have to do with strangers, people I don't even know, people I have nothing to do with, who don't look like me, who live in another part of the state as I do, people I've never dealt with in my life, I hear their stories and I put myself in their shoes so seamlessly that I'm overcome by their tragic circumstances. And I'm not saying that makes me special in any way, but I'm saying I think it's the fact that I am an empath in that way that the representation issue for me has always just kind of gone over my head because to me, I don't need to see a Hispanic on the screen to feel like, you know, something about me is being put out there or there, or like there's something for me to sink my teeth into. Do I think it's awesome? Yeah, are you kidding? It's always cool to see like, oh, I look at that, she's doing well for herself, that's exciting, or oh, this guy got this party, good to see him moving on up in the world, and I'll always be a, cha- a, a champion for those kinds of things, but I don't personally feel like I have an invested horse in the race because just me speaking from my own personal perspective The issue of representation hasn't had much of an impact on my life, and I've never felt like I was left lacking for anything. So, when this topic came up again about you know, now that the award nominations are out and that things were so you know, kind of scant on the Hispanic front, I'm still just all about the fact that Guillermo del Toro. He directed the big movie this year, and it looks like, you know, he may walk away with the Best Director trophy, which, by the way, he totally deserves. You know, I told you guys, The Shape of Water is a magnificent film. It's just beautifully done. Um, So, you know, that's kind of my piece on that. I'm sorry if it's not quite as, uh, you know, fired up as some might like, but that's just where I'm at. That's just where I'm at. So I'll continue to champion for them and and want to see my fellow Hispanics rising up and and, and doing what they got to do to be acknowledged. But the stakes for me in that fight very rarely feel personal. So, you know, make of that what you will. But all right, guys, now it's time to get into the El Fanboy Weekend Forecast. Time to take a look at the weekend's new releases, see how they're doing, how they're projected to do, what their critics are saying, and maybe try to figure out how you should spend your multiplex dollars this week. So this week, the, the big one is Maze Runner, the death cure, the latest installment in the Maze Runner series. Honestly, I don't even know. Is this the second or the third or the 17th? I have no idea. All I do know is right now, with 95 reviews in, it has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes, which gives it a rotten certification. Uh, The critics' consensus is Maze Runner The Death Cure may offer closure to fans of the franchise, but for anyone who hasn't already been hooked, this bloated final installment is best left unseen. Now remember... The, 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 this kind of falls into that weird little category where 44% doesn't necessarily mean bad. As I've been saying since forever, and you might be rolling your eyes, but for those of you, I do have new listeners now. So for those of y'all who haven't heard me say this before, 44% is, is very close to 50, which means it's like a 50-50 proposition. Half the people who saw it liked it. Half the people who saw it didn't like it. And it really comes down to what your internal interest is in this film. Are you already invested in this franchise? Did you read the books? Did you like the previous entries? Then you know what? Chances are you'll be part of the uh, 50% who did enjoy it, the 44% who did enjoy it. So go give it a chance. You know, to me, that's always the big issue here with Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes, where they call anything rotten that's below a 60, I believe. And that's not fair. Because anything in the mid 40s, the 50s, up to 60 is really just a—it's a split. It's a split decision. So how can you go ahead and say it's a bad movie? You know, I think that's just—they really need to put out like a third certification, like ripe, something something that covers these middle of the road movies, so that every—it it can't just be black and white, where only 40 percent of your movies can be considered positive, and 60—the other 60 60% percent is considered negative. I don't know if I said that right, but you know what I mean. So Maze Runner, 44%. Critics weren't too hot on it, but if you like the movies in general, if you're if you're a fan of that, it sounds like you might want to give it a chance. The other big one is Hostiles, which has been around, or Hostels, has already been out for five weeks. It's the Christian Vale uh, Western. But now it's about to get the big bump up. That's right. It's going from 119 theaters to 2,800 theaters. So Hostiles is going into wide release. The Scott Cooper-directed Western is said to be fairly phenomenal by some people. But still, let's look at the actual critic consensus. Um, With 145 reviews tallied, it is considered fresh. It's got a 71%... Um, but honestly, yeah, that's a little tepid. 71% means, all right, you know, most people liked it, but, you know, it doesn't seem like people were very in love with this film. But let's see, the critics' consensus is Hostiles benefits from stunning visuals and a solid central performance from Christian Bale, both of which help elevate its uneven story. So, you know, it sounds like if you're into Westerns, if you're into Christian Bale, this thing will be up your alley. But similar to last week when a new movie got me thinking about an old one and led me to that week's uh, referral, same thing's happening here. I see hostiles, hostiles coming out. I don't know how to say it. But I'm just going to keep going around and saying it however the hell I want. Um, hostiles is a Western, and it stars Christian Bale. But rather than wanting to see Hostiles, hostiles, I want you to go check out 310 to Yuma. And the reason I think 310 to Yuma would be awesome for you, amongst many reasons, is that yes, it's a Western, yes, it stars Christian Bale, but it's directed by James Mangold. Yes, the very same James Mangold who gave us that marvelous Logan movie last year, and who also did a pretty good job on The Wolverine before that, and in general as a director who I want to, I expect great things from. I feel like he's finally broken into the full-on mainstream now that he's been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Logan, and at, with Logan being such a widely loved film. I think James Mangold is here to stay, and I cannot wait to see what he does next. But yes, I would say check out 310 to Yuma, that 2007 film has Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. It's a remake, but it's a phenomenal remake, and it's, in for my money, one of the best modern westerns of the last 20 years. So if you don't want to check out Hostiles, Hostiles... Um, <laughs> I I crack myself up too much. I think I'm tired. I've been I think I've been sleeping like four hours a night since the site launched, so don't mind me if I'm a little um a little goofy. But yes, uh, my recommendation this week is three ten to Yuma. The other the other releases are just a, you know, a few indie films that you've probably not heard of. There's one called Please Stand By with Dakota Fanning, which has sixty four percent on the Rotten Tomatoes. There is American Folk, which is going into wide release. Uh, It looks like it's about folks. Uh, It stars a bunch of people I've never heard of, but it's got a tomato meter rating of 75%. But mind you, there are only 12 reviews tallied. So, like, again, this is a little, little movie. Um, So I don't know if it's on your radar. I'm not saying you shouldn't support little movies, but I've never heard of any of these, so I can't really, you know... Uh, cheerlead for any of them. And then the the, the final of the new releases is a film called Like Me, which currently stands at 67%. It's also only been reviewed by 15 people. So it's hard to say whether or not the film's any good or or offer any real consensus on the matter. In terms of the box office, it looks like Jumanji is finally going to get kicked out of the top spot. That's right. Deadline is projecting that the the Dwayne Johnson monolith, The Mammoth, Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle is going to dip down to second place this weekend. It's going to cool 25%, pulling in an estimated 14 to 15 million because the top spot is going to go to Maze Runner shockingly. Right now it says, you know, Fox is hoping for 20 million dollars. Others think it could go as high as 23 million dollars. It had a you know it had a decent Thursday night preview showing of 1.5 million. In terms of its predecessors, you know, the first Maze Runner had gotten 1.1 million. And then a couple a year later, Maze Runner, the scorch trials went up to 1.7 million. So this is right in between that. Yesterday it made 1.5. So they are anticipating that Maze Runner will, will will take the weekend. Um, and that seems like a fairly safe bet. You know, the, Jumanji made around 20 last year, last year, last week. And, you know, it, there's no way you can repeat that. So it's going to have to go into the mid to lower teens. And with Maze Runner, you know, taking over a bunch of screens and having its own built in following, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it's taking first place. In terms of like third and fourth, it looks like it's going to be, you know, the, the same holdovers from last week. You know, unless Hostiles does much better than anyone anticipates, you know, it looks like 12 Strong and Den of Thieves are going to be jockeying for the third and fourth position. Um, So I guess, you know, we'll have to find out on Tuesday on the Revengers podcast when we do the sort of wraparound on this report and find out how these movies actually did. But all right, folks, that does it for this week's El Fanboy podcast. Just a reminder that you're... Referral of the week is 310 to Yuma. Just a reminder to keep checking revengeofthefans.com for all of your latest news and reviews and bochinche and scoops. Uh, I got some more revenge reports and and, and in-depth reporting coming to you over the course of the next week or so. Uh, Of course, I'm always on the hunt for scoops, so I will try to keep doing you proud. And also, if you want to support the effort Please, please, please go like us on the Twitter, which is at RevengeOTFans. And also, you know, the Patreon page is still open. You know, even though it's no longer for Elf Fanboy, it is for Revenge of the Fans. I do hope that you guys will consider continuing to donate and to donate if you haven't yet. Because right now, you know... We, we're trying to avoid the ad the ads as much as possible but you know we got to start making some money on the site i know we're only two weeks in i'm not complaining that we're not making money it's an it's like any small business we're going to be operating at a loss for a while but the patreon pledges really help they really encourage us and they you know we want this to feel like a place for you a sounding board for you we had chris lisanti uh publish a column this week we had Aaron Verola publish a vlog last week. I'm going to be reaching out to someone else this week and try to get them to contribute something on Monday. I want Revenge of the Fans to be your sounding board and your home. And, you know, that's why you know the, the crowdfunding element is important. We want you guys to feel like you're invested in this. You are part of this team. And, you know, going on Patreon and becoming a, an official revenger Uh, you know, is a great way to do that. And, you know, we got your back. You got ours. Let's do this together. But all right, guys, until next week, adios.